You are listening to a message from Southwood Presbyterian Church in Huntsville, Alabama. Our passion is to experience and express grace. Join us. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke 24. Luke 24 is page 885 of the Bible in the pew in front of you. Don't forget what we've been doing up in the service this long. This is merely a continuation of this conversation as God sends us into the world with good news. We're nearing the end here of the account that Luke gives us of Jesus' life. And we get this morning one more encounter of the risen Jesus, probably still the night of Easter Sunday. And he shows up with his disciples. He says some things that they've heard before, uh, but listen as I read for, for some new things, especially toward the end of this interaction. It's powerful stuff for who they are and, and who we are to be. Remember, this is God's holy word. The reliable way to know who God is. The definitive authority on who you and I are designed to be. The only thing that will always direct you and your life to be shaped in the right direction. Luke 24 at verse 36. As they, the disciples, were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you had anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. And and we ask now that that promised Holy Spirit that, that Jesus told us he's sending upon us would meet with us and so work in our hearts this morning that we would be different people, that we would be those that you call us to be, that we would share your heart. Father, do that work in us by your spirit, through your word. You love to do that. And that's why we've come this morning to your word, expectantly and needy of you to speak and you to work and act in and through us. So we ask it and we look forward to what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. When you are introducing yourself to someone for the first time, you, you might say, hey, uh, I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm an engineer, I'm a dental hygienist, 
I'm an auto mechanic. Um, whatever it is that, that you spend much of your time doing, you know, um, chauffeur for busy young people, um, whatever it is that you're doing all the time. But sometimes when we say that, we, we forget that, that that's not the primary part of our identity. What we do is not supposed to be the same as who we are. Child of God, image bearer of the King, follower of Christ. Those things are, are more fundamental to our identity, right? Perhaps this passage would suggest that we could ac- accurately introduce ourselves and say, I'm a witness. Anybody want to start doing that? Just practice over the next few weeks with me just to introduce yourself that- Nobody, want, nobody wants to do that. Um, but, but you could theoretically begin to say, hey, I'm a, I'm a witness. Uh, Jesus says here and elsewhere, that's the identity, the calling of his followers. A witness. Someone, you know, with a story to tell. Something he has seen, something she has experienced, something he or she needs to share. The word in the Bible, witness, speaks to someone with a a truth to testify to, a reality to recount. And Jesus in this passage shows how vital it is for his followers to be witnesses. I mean, think about it. We've, We've got just a very small window of time between Jesus rising from the dead on Easter and then ascending into heaven. There's only a a little bit of time he has with his followers to say, here's what you're to be about. Here's what's most important. And what is it that's most important to Jesus? Well, we've read on Easter afternoon, he He's found these followers on the road to Emmaus. They're discouraged and he he teaches them about himself, about the Bible, revealing to them as they break bread who he is. He's committed to our knowing him, right? That's what we learned a couple weeks ago. Jesus is committed to our knowing him. And this passage shows us that in addition to that, he is committed. What's important to him is our making him known. That's why the witnesses part comes in. Jesus's plan for his kingdom involves witnesses and he makes sure here that he's prepared them with the right story, the right experience that needs to be shared. Watch how this unfolds as Jesus appears to his followers. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. Jesus does it again, he just shows up, right? He keeps doing this now since he's risen, just showing up with his followers. And and now here it's with the fuller group of disciples for the first time since his resurrection. And what's he going to say to them? You know, what do you think? I mean, after all, they've, they've all in one way or another just abandoned him, haven't they? Um, Some of them physically left the premises, some denied him multiple times. No one's been there for him. They didn't understand what he was talking about that he was going to do. They have failed him at the key moment. Kids, have you ever um, had your parent, your mom say to you, just wait till your father comes home? 
I heard that a lot when I was a kid, and, and it's not an exciting thing, like he might bring you a present or something. It, it, you hear those words and you think, uh-oh, right? Just wait till your father comes home. Uh, what it means is that he's coming home to give you at least a part of what you deserve, right? Now, not that your mom couldn't do it. She could, but, but what she's saying is that, that I've done everything, I, I'm through with you for now. And, and maybe she needed to cool off a bit too, possibly. But, but here comes Jesus, the, the very one they've abandoned, coming home, right? Standing right there with them. And he could give them the talking to they deserve, right? It should have started with, with how could you? Or why did you not? Or, or do you have any idea But Jesus' first word is is different. What's Jesus' first word? Peace. Peace to you. It's a word that that to Luke is a a microcosm of, of all of salvation. Jesus shows up bringing salvation in himself. Peace between God and man here. Because of what he has done on the cross and in the empty tomb. And a witness for Jesus has to know that that's who he is. In addition, a witness will need to know that he is the physically resurrected Lord. That this is Jesus himself. Jesus lets them do several things here, doesn't he? He lets them touch his hands and and touch his feet. He he eats a fish right there in, in front of them. What's all that about? Apparently, it's really important that they experience his physical reality. A new, glorious body, for sure. There's things different. They struggle to recognize him. Yet, nonetheless, he shows them it is I, myself. It is Jesus himself who's with them. The Bible does not teach the idea of a figurative resurrection, but rather the reality of a bodily resurrection. This is not some Gnostic Christianity where the goal of our lives is now escaping this world and these bodies to something immaterial and and floating on clouds forever. No. The direction this is headed is a renewed, glorified, fully human existence made perfect in God's image. Jesus is committed to their knowing him. Who he really is. What he has really done. So he's, he's now taught for hours. He's patiently lingered with slow disciples who didn't recognize him. He's shown up among them. He's let them touch him. He's eaten with them. All so that they can know him and then make known who he is. If you've been at Southwood, you should hear echoes of experience and express grace. Know him and make him known. That's what this is about. And I'll admit here that there are differences between what it means for these first disciples to be witnesses and for us today to be witnesses. We all have a story to share. They have a firsthand experience, don't they, of the risen Jesus appearing over and over in those weeks to over 500 of them at one time. Eyewitness accounts that they have and that they then witness to us about in the Bible 
for the rest of the New Testament so that we too can know the reality, the truth of Jesus and therefore have a story to share. I love how they invite us into that. That, That's the design of God's word here. And they're inviting us into that story with all of our emotions that we might have about this risen Jesus. Just see if your feelings about Jesus aren't represented here in this, this room where the disciples are startled, frightened, anybody? Troubled, doubting. And Jesus comes in the midst of all those emotions and says, experience me, know me. And and then even as they touch him and his hands and his feet, and they they can't deny who he is. They they know it's Jesus, but, but it actually says they disbelieve with joy. We would say it's, it's too good to be true. I, I know it's true, but I just can't wrap my mind around it. Some of you have felt that way about Jesus, haven't you? You know those emotions, and, and the disciples here feel all of those things that we feel in different ways in our own hearts about the story, this incredible story. It's crazy of a man rising from the dead. And they say, come with us. We're going we're gonna to tell you about it. And they're going to invite you to come with them as Jesus shows up in real time and soothes their fears with his presence. He calms their anxieties with his words. He shatters their doubts with his reality and truth. And Jesus wants us to know him like that too. And so, again, for the third time now on Easter Sunday, someone wanting to know Jesus is pointed where? To the Old Testament scriptures, to the Bible. Verse 44, then Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses And the prophets and the Psalms, that's the whole thing, by the way, Old Testament, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. What's Jesus opening their minds to in God's word? There's a lot of stuff in here, right? It's it's the same things he's been telling us are so vitally important. Over and over he's been saying it through this last half of Luke. Keep reading He said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. We've heard this, right? God's story, the one Jesus' witnesses must tell, features the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Again, he's, he's showing them how this is exactly why he came. Why God has been telling his people from the beginning that it, it must be this way. Remember we talked a couple of weeks ago how this whole Old Testament story points to Jesus. Over and over it points to a promised king who would die to rescue God's people and restore their relationship with him. Jesus opens their Bibles with them again. We suspect they were already open when he showed up because they were talking to each other about Jesus that night. And now he opens their minds even more to understand. They understand those really vital things. But 
But this time, there's actually something new. Y'all, listen to me for a second. Jesus never adds anything to his core focus. You've heard it enough times by now to recognize it, right? I am going to Jerusalem. I must go. I must suffer. I must die. And on the third day be raised from the dead. And that is how it goes every time. End of story. That's the good news, right? The Savior coming. But there's more? This time, Jesus actually goes on and adds something we haven't heard in this context before, that he's teaching them from the Bible, verse 47, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. What's going on here? What's going on is that now it's time to move the mission forward. The good news is meant for everyone right? All these important things have happened. Now people need to know about it. Remember back from the angels to the shepherds, before Jesus even enters into the world, Jesus has been promised. He's been promised to be good news of great joy for all people. There's news to proclaim in the name of Jesus. Repent and believe. Come back to your Father. Be forgiven and cleansed forever. Jesus says, hey, I got a secret for you. I'm not making this stuff up. This is not new. This has always been God's mission. It's just you could only handle a piece at a time from me. And even those things you didn't understand. It's like what we heard Rob Futo say in the video earlier. The church is a mission, not a club. It's not about us, but about those who aren't here yet, Right? That's true for the church in Hungary. It's true for the church in Huntsville. Why? Because it's always been true of God's people. The church must be on mission to everyone, all nations, or it's not the church. Jesus tells them how making his name known to the nations has always been crucial to the story. Man, this must have been another great sermon. Like the one on the road to Emmaus that I wanted to be there for. And as I said then, I'm not sure all Jesus says as he opens the Bible for them. But from the rest of the New Testament, he told at least some of this story. A story that that God, who from the first time that mankind fell out of that intimate relationship that he created them for, was, was set on rescuing him. That he started with a special relationship with one nation, one group of people, right? But even when he blessed Abraham and Israel, it was for the sake of all the nations, for the ends of the earth. And so God says to Abraham, in your offspring, singular, particular offspring, by the way, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And Isaiah prophesied, prophesies of this promised Messiah. It's too light a thing. It's it's too small. It's not enough that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. Millions of them though they be. That's not enough. I've got a bigger vision, God says. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach where? To the end 
of the earth. That's, that's the Messiah who's coming. Micah talks about him that way. Another prophet who says this Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Right after that, what does he say? He'll stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they'll all dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Not just in Bethlehem. To the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. The prophet Zechariah tells us about a king who's going to come and enter on a donkey. And Jesus has just done that just a a week ago, right? And then he says this, this king that comes in on a donkey shall speak peace, where? To the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Do you hear what God's been saying all along? Peace to the nations, To the end of the earth. If you had a King James Bible, you could read it the right way, which is say, to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the best way to say it. Do you see, that's God's mission through the whole Bible. That's his heart. Yes, the Messiah would come to rescue and restore God's people. Yes, he would die and rise so that when you repent and trust in him, your sins are forgiven. Yes, but that's only one piece. That good news was always For all people, in all nations, they were all supposed to hear about it. They were all to know him. And now Jesus comes and he adds that on to what's happening for the disciples. Can you imagine their excitement? I mean, just think about it. The risen Jesus is there. This is going to be great. This is the guy who always heals anybody who's sick. This is the guy who whenever any of us is hungry, he's got us covered, right? More food for everybody. This is the one who always knows what to say in every situation. And now, he's ready for a world tour. Let's go. The Christ has suffered. The Christ has risen from the dead. And now the Christ will proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to all the nations. And they're like, let's go. Except, that's not exactly what Jesus said. The Christ should suffer, the Christ should rise from the dead, but then, hmm, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Jesus says, I've scheduled the world tour, now see ya, I'm out. It's a little bit disconcerting. Actually, verse 48, he says, you are witnesses of these things. I just imagine the disciples who've gotten so excited hearing that and saying, oh, I think he meant road crew. Like, you know, um, uh, plan some potlucks, hang around with Jesus, um, organize some conferences for him to speak at. And that, that's, that's what he meant. Jesus says, no, no, no. Witnesses. You're You're witnesses. You're the ones with the the story to share. You're the ones to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in my name where? To all nations. Everybody needs to know. So, so Jesus, you mean mean we 11, you know, confused followers? Am I hearing you right? I mean, maybe if you helped us, we could gather a few hundred back around probably, but But all the nations? Jesus, come on now. But what happens? 
well, if Jesus being made known to the nations was the goal, I'd say God knew what he was doing. 2,000 years from this conversation in a little room in Jerusalem, billions of people have repented and received forgiveness of sins from nearly every people, tribe, language, and nation. Nearly, the mission is still underway. But listen, if you're like me and you, you hear that and you think most days that God would be crazy to make you a witness, right? uh, pick somebody else. All I can say is it looks like he knows what he's doing. See, Jesus never calls us to something without empowering us for it, does he? Verse 49, behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus says, I've got a gift for you, because because sometimes witnesses can be intimidated can't they? I mean, they've got someone to talk about. They've got a story to share, but, but sometimes they just can't get up the nerve to do it because there's, there's people who won't like hearing their testimony. Yeah? There, there are a lot of other things that I could fill my schedule with besides that. And so Jesus empowers witnesses with the gift of his spirit. There's no other way for this mission to be accomplished, is there? I mean, when Jesus said he was leaving, they knew immediately they couldn't do it alone. They weren't wrong. Jesus says, yeah, you're right. Don't go anywhere alone. It's not safe. You're not strong enough. You're not faithful enough witnesses. Don't leave the city. You can't be trusted on your own. Wait. For the Spirit. Listen, this is really important. Witnesses, we must rely on his power. There's there's no other way to do this. The disciples experience it at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes in power. And, And if you know Jesus, you have a new identity as a witness, yes. But also a new empowerment for your mission as a witness. See, See, it's actually even a little bit more exciting for you than for the disciples. Jesus is not telling you this morning to go somewhere and wait. That was for them. They had to wait till Jesus left and sent the Spirit. Guess what? Already happened. That part's over. So, so you have, if you know Jesus, his Spirit living and active in you already. And in others. And in this world, he's at work. So yes, wait in dependence upon him, absolutely, but you don't have to wait for Pentecost. You're 2,000 years beyond that. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Your church is a part of the people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation who are together a temple where the Spirit lives. You have the power that raised Jesus from the dead in you and among us to be witnesses. That's where boldness comes from, y'all. Boldness that most of us are pretty unfamiliar with, right? Boldness, especially for weak people like me. You will be clothed with power from on high. Now, that's, that's witness wear we can be proud of. Man, 
I couldn't resist that joke. I knew it wasn't very good, but, um, but, but really, I want you actually, I say it because I want you to remember it, clothed, clothed with power, covered in what you need to be a witness, clothed with power not of yourself, but, but words to speak when you don't have answers. Think through church history. Confidence to speak the name of Jesus while the flames are starting to rise up at your feet. When the sword is close to your neck. Strength to endure rejection and being left out by those who hate your testimony. The power to be a witness. Y'all, the power is his. And he uses weak vessels for his glory. God reminded me of this reality several times on my recent trip to India. One of those in particular was as we were preparing to, to come back. And the first leg of my journey home was about to start. So I prayed the night before for gospel opportunities on the way home. And I'm, I'm picturing these long plane rides where somebody has to listen to me talking But the first leg was actually a three-hour car ride. And at the last minute, we stopped to pick up a young man in his late 20s. We met, seemed like a nice guy. We get back in the car. The driver turns to me and says, oh, hey, he's not a Christian. Why don't you share the gospel with him? Well, okay. Um, So having just met him and being an expert in evangelism, I turned and said, hey, um, I'm in India to share with people about Jesus. Do you know who Jesus is? Y'all, that's not in any of the evangelism books to start that way. Um, And and he says back through my translator this. uh, He says he knows Jesus is a God and that Jesus died on a cross. But he doesn't know why Jesus died on a cross. Could you explain that to him? Let me think. I mean, I suppose if I had to start somewhere, I could possibly start by talking about why Jesus died on the cross. Y'all, my six-year-old could have finished the story from there, right? Like, she could have handled answering that question. And here God, God is doing something unmistakable. In that moment, I felt so clearly the presence of the Holy Spirit answering my prayers. He was working in this man's heart. And then he was at the same time making it painfully but, but gloriously obvious that his confidence was not in my evangelistic abilities. Let me take care of this one. Okay? But that he was at work. I was weak in witnessing. I know that. But he's strong. And, and that was all that mattered. He had everything teed up. He was the powerful one. I just said, Bunty... You have a son. Um, do you love him? Would you do anything to get him back if you lost him? That's what God did on the cross. He, he loves many of us, many sons he has that he loves. And they needed to be rescued and brought back to him. So Jesus had to die on the cross for us. And, and I got to share my story, my experience with Jesus. I got to share from the Bible's story. He had three hours, so even I could get through it in three hours. He even invited me to share with his family when we got to his home at the end of the ride. I tell you that so that you know that the Holy Spirit is working in India. And the Holy Spirit is working in Hungary, in these places to see repentance and forgiveness of sins proclaimed to all the nations. 
He's working there to make the name of Jesus known. And if he's working there, you can know confidently he's working in Huntsville. Jesus is equally alive here. Equally committed here to many people hearing the good news and finding life in him. Who needs to hear from you? Where has God called you to go as a witness to the nations? Who's coming to know Jesus would delight your heart? The question is not if you're strong enough, but rather if you believe he is. You are here to be a witness, to tell the story of Jesus, to tell your story with Jesus. And the only power you need is his. He is with you. Now, why do we fear failure? When he ensures our success in his mission, he hears your prayers. He knows your weakness. He has sent his Holy Spirit to give you power for making him known. And that's a big part of what's going on at this table, right? Jesus comes here to give us a special reminder of his presence with us. He meets with us and feeds us by his spirit to strengthen our faith for making him known, for being witnesses. He didn't want you to do it alone. So he sends you back here all the time to remember you're not. This bread and this juice are to encourage your faith by reminding you Jesus gave himself for you and you're never alone in your mission to make him known to the nations. He sat with those disciples. He took bread and he broke it and gave it to him. As I'm ministering in his name, give this bread to you. He said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So you remember I'm always with you. And then he took the cup. And said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it, all of you. There's forgiveness for you and to be shared with others. And so drink and remember that, that it comes only through me. And don't let anyone else miss that. If you don't know Jesus, this may seem a little bit odd. And, and we would encourage you this morning, don't come and take bread and juice that mean nothing to you. The Bible warns against us doing that in a careless manner. But we're so glad that you're here. And we would invite you, if you'd, if you'd like, you can still come forward to these tables and ask us to pray with you. Or we'd love to talk with you after the service because our mission is to make the name of Jesus known. It's, it's why we're here. Nothing would delight us more than to get to tell you about him. Grab any of us. That's why we're here. But if you do know him, if you're part of his people, whether, whether here at Southwood or, or at any other church, please come and celebrate. Remember that he's here with you. He, he comes by his spirit to meet with you and to feed you so that you receive forgiveness, that you repent and know the love of a father who always welcomes you home. And that you're strengthened as you eat to be a witness to your risen Savior. Let's pray and then we'll celebrate. Jesus, thank you for deciding we could be a part of this. As weak as we are for, for being committed to making us a part of what you're doing in this world. It, it dignifies us beyond what we deserve. It makes every moment of our lives matter for something. 
We're grateful. Thank you so much for not leaving us alone. Thank you for giving yourself for us and for sending your spirit to be with us. Strengthen us even now, we ask in your name. Amen. Our host team members will usher you to tables forward and backward and we will rejoice and eat with Jesus. For more information, visit us online at southwood.org.